Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. Chapter 2 this morning. Chapter 2, we're going to continue through the book of Galatians. While you are turning there, I'll just give you a little recap from last week that we had. In Galatians 1, last week, Paul was talking about, and you can raise your hand if you need a Bible too, I meant to say. If it, we don't, actually, I think we're out of Bibles already. We may have one or two. If you have one around there, maybe, hey, maybe you guys can look on each other's and maybe he will be generous and give his up to her. Would you be willing to do that, buddy? Would you be willing to give her your Bible so she can see? And then you can look off of his iPod touch there or, or his Bible. And like I always say, bring the Bible to church if you have one. So, good. Okay, recap. Galatians 1. Paul said there last week, he said in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by, grace, by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And we talked about how Paul was going to work with the Galatians and some, on some specific issues that they had concerning how they were obeying God's word and understanding God's word and all of those things. And uh, I talked to you guys specifically about how oftentimes when you accept Christ into your heart and you receive the gospel as truth and you by faith are saved, there's a point in your life where you have to uh, begin to conform your life to God's word. And our tendency is to either go uh, one of two ways. We'll either begin to get very legalistic about God's word, where we'll, we're like, you know, we're, we judge other people and we hold them to this higher standard. Or we get real liberal with God's word, where we say, well, I know it says that, but maybe it doesn't apply to me. And the issue is we want to we get both of those right. We, wanna, we don't want to be legalistic. We also don't want to be too liberal with it. We want to hold it right in the middle. If God's word says it, let's believe it and let's just do it. And let's hold ourselves to that. And the issue is conforming yourself to God's word. And I talked about how some of us, we become believers and we don't like some of the things that we're reading in God's word. We want to enjoy some of these things, these attitudes, these behaviors that are contrary to God's word. And so we kind of pick and choose what we want to believe about God's word and we leave those things out of our lives and we have we created for ourselves our own gospel and we deserted the original and we've created for ourselves our own and it's not going to be sufficient it's not it's not what God's word has given us and so we want to remind be reminded to stick straight with what God's word says all the time now here in in Galatians chapter 2 Paul is going to talk to Peter. We're going to start in verse 11, but he's going to talk to Peter about something that he has an issue with. Now, this is kind of funny. Yesterday um, at breakfast, my kids got up and they were eating. And we had, my wife and I had gone to the grocery store on Friday to get groceries. And one of the cereal boxes that they had was superheroes. And it came with a comic book. And so they opened it up and they pulled out the comic book and they're reading it. And my son was naming off all the different superheroes. You know, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman. And then there was Aquaman. And my daughter, my youngest daughter, who's six, hears them talking about Aquaman, and she goes, yeah, that's right, he is awkward. Like that, right? She thought it was awkward man, not Aquaman. Now, I think they should make an awkward man. And you know, you think about Aquaman was kind of awkward, wasn't he? I mean, the only thing he could do is go in the water. I mean, he could talk to the whales. Hey, go spit water on that dude, you know, (laughs) or the seagulls. I mean, remember Aquaman? He summons the fish. 
you know, I mean, big help you are there, Aquaman. Thanks a lot. You know, if we ever have a national emergency in the water, we'll give you a ring. Otherwise, hang tight. But awkward man. It was a miscommunication. She didn't understand. That's kind of what happens here with Paul and with Peter. Let's start in verse 11. We'll read down through the, the end of the chapter. It's only 11 or 12 verses, so let's read that, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into our Bible study. Verse 11 of chapter 2 in Galatians. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with, gent- with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in, this, in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? When we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, the, by observing the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I could rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word this morning, your worship, the time of worship that we had, Lord God. And Father, I just come with a request that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our lives this morning. Lord, that truly you would just uh, speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would minister to us, Lord. Uh, many of us are young in our faith and, and knowing you, and some of us don't even have a faith that's genuine and true yet, Lord. But Father, we know you desire for all to be saved. And that for all of us to grow in the knowledge of you, Lord. So I pray that this morning would do that, Lord. That you would use your word. Teach us, show us, challenge us, Lord. But Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do the work. That it would be divine. So we ask for you to do that. We give you permission. And we seek your blessings, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we are. Let's go back to verse 11 for a minute. Because Paul and Peter are going to have this encounter together. And it says there in verse 11, it says that when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Now, you have to understand a couple things here. First of all, who is Peter and who is Paul? First of all, uh, they're not guys in a band. Do you guys remember the band, Peter, Paul? You don't even know. They were old when I was your age. So uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, it was a band, a folk band. They'd probably be popular today because now all these folk music bands that are out. But Peter was the, uh, was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Peter was the, the, the disciple who walked on water and who, who was with Jesus from the very beginning. 
Okay, he was in his inner circle, you know, it was Peter, James, and John, those three guys that Jesus just, you know, he would always reveal things to them and hang out with them and and bring them in. And then you have Paul. Paul was a guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he says by his own words, I'm an apostle who was abnormally born. In other words, not like he had a birth defect, but spiritually speaking, as an apostle, he was one who God handpicked, pulled him up into heaven, gave him this surpassing revelation, and then sent him to go and do work for him. Paul's uh, job by God was to go into all of the Gentile world and share the gospel with anyone who wasn't a Jew. Peter, his uh, job by God was to pastor over the church in Israel, in Jerusalem, the, the birthplace of the church. And so you have Peter and you have Paul, these two great apostles, guys that were just mighty in God's hand. Peter was probably the most recognized Christian in the world at that time. The most recognized guy. He was probably the most popular, the most powerful, the most effective Christian in all of the world at this point. And then you have Paul who says he was lesser than them. And he, was, he always considered himself on a lesser status of, of, than them, even though he was an apostle. Now, he has to go to Peter because he notices there's some behavior about Peter that is not in line with the truth of the gospel. That's what he says in verse 14. He says, when I noticed that he wasn't uh, working in line with the truth of the gospel, he wasn't acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And so last week we talked about that. We, what is the gospel message? What is the gospel? And I said, can you, any of you guys name, you know, can, you, can you tell me what the gospel is? And I made it easy for you. I paraphrased it. We talked about it simply means that you, we are sinners separated by God because of our sin, that God rem- removes our sin by faith in Jesus Christ. He sends Jesus, his son, to take our place and to take our judgment, and he condemns Jesus in our place. And by faith, we receive forgiveness of our sins. And so you can be right with God based on that. It comes through faith in Jesus. Simple message. You're separated, God provides a way. And it's through his son, Jesus. And so we talked about this message. And what happened was, is Peter was allowing this message to be diluted or changed or distorted in some way. It's kind of like what he was saying in chapter 1 when he was talking about how they've so quickly deserted this original message that was given. And this is what it was, because there's going to be two big words that we're going to learn this morning. And some of you guys know what they mean, some of you don't. The first one is circumcision. (laughs) Great, this is awesome. It's so much fun to talk about that up here with middle schoolers. This is what it is. There were a group of Jewish people that get saved. They, They put faith in Jesus. So they were originally Jewish. They were born, they're one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're in Israel. They live there, and they get saved. The, the Jewish religion of Judaism has, it sticks with the Ten Commandments, the law. You guys have probably heard of the law. That's what Paul's referring to here, the Ten Commandments. And in order for a Jewish person, apart from Christ, to be considered righteous with God, they have to uphold all the Ten Commandments without ever breaking one of them ever for their entire life. And if they can do that, then they are declared righteous before God. The problem is, is that nobody can ever do that. No Jewish person can uphold the Ten Commandments perfectly and never break them. It's an impossible feat. No one can do it. There's only been one human being in all of history who's ever been able to do it, and that was Jesus. And so what was happening, as these people realized that Jesus was the way to salvation, what, their, what God's intention was is that they would depart from the law and embrace grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. I'm going to get forgiven based on God's love for me, not based on my work, on how well I keep the law. And so they received the forgiveness, but then after a while living in that forgiveness, 
they would look back at their old life and they said, hey, you know, the law, you know, we're not supposed to eat certain foods and we're not, you know, we're supposed to keep certain days holy and all these things and we're supposed to be circumcised. This was what God gave to Abraham and I'll explain that in just a second. And so they would, they would go backwards from this freedom and grace of forgiveness to this once again working in trying to be a religious person and keep a law and, and what it was is it became a burden for them. Now, in Genesis chapter 17, God sets apart Abraham from the rest of the world. And he makes this covenant with Abraham. You guys know the song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had... You guys, if you guys were in Sunday school, you remember? Yeah, I, I used to sing that to my kids when, I was, when they were little. I still try and sing it to Maggie every once in a while, but she gets embarrassed. And so I stopped um, last week when I tried and she... Got mad at me. But uh, anyways, uh, so Father Abraham, God sets this man Abraham apart. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. In fact, your descendants are going to be so numerous that they're going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And you can't even count it. And the stars in the sky, how impossible it would be to count all the stars. That's how, how vast I'm going to make your descendants. And Abraham is 90. And his wife is old. And they're barren. They have no kids. And so God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham. In other words, I'm going to make a promise to you, Abraham, that this is going to happen. And this will be the sign of the covenant, of the promise, that I'm going to keep it. And he gives him a circumcision. And he circumcises Abraham. And he says, and as an honor of this promise that I've made you in this covenant between me and you, whenever you have a child on the eighth day, I want you to circumcise that, that male child also. And so keeping in with the uh, tradition of the covenant to remind them that they're, they're this people. So the Jewish people were set apart of all the rest of the world and they became the descendants of Abraham and this was the sign that they belonged to God. Now what's unique about this is that God was going to bring the Messiah through the, the Jewish people. And so it was going to be a different circumcision and a new covenant was going to be given to us, to anyone, and he was going to open the door to be set apart as God's people from not just Jewish, now to anyone who would, by faith, receive the work that God was going to do through Jesus. And so no longer was circumcision required. No longer was there special dietary needs required, like because, you know, Jews weren't supposed to eat certain foods and different things like that. And so what happened was, is they were slipping back into that tradition of a law when they've been given grace. And so Paul was totally taking Peter to task for this because what was happening is Peter was getting in fellowship with everybody and then this this circumcision group would come in and they would be looking down on these Gentile believers who weren't circumcised and they would be eating pork and doing these things and they were offended. and, and, And so what happened was is Peter would begin to withdraw from those people and kind of go back to his Hebrew, his Jewish roots and hang out with those people that were not necessarily doing what God had intended and living the way God had intended. And so Paul recognized this and he calls him out on it. He says, man, this is wrong, Peter. He says, to his face I confronted him. Now that's crazy. Now, it's not as though Peter didn't know this, okay? Peter knew that God had opened up the entire gospel message to all of creation. Because what happens is in the book of Acts, in chapters 9 and in chapters 10, we have the story of both Peter and Paul. In chapter 9, we have Paul's conversion. 
This is where Paul was a, a Jewish Pharisee, and he, God saves him and blinds him, and he sends him, you know, he sends him on the road to Damascus, remember? And he sends him to the house of this Gentile guy, and he prays for him, and, and he um, tells him that he's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. In the very next chapter, in chapter 10 of Acts, Peter goes up on a roof, and he's going to pray, and he's very hungry, and the Lord gives him this vision of this big, basically, picnic blanket of food. And he lowers it down to him, and he says, Peter, take and eat. And Peter's like, all right. And he looks at it, and it's all of this food that Jewish people are not supposed to eat. You know, it's probably like, you know, pork and like bacon and, you know, seafood and all this stuff that they're not supposed to eat by the law because they had these dietary restrictions. And Peter's like, ah, no thanks, God. I'm a good Jew. I'm not going to do that. And so the blanket gets taken back up. And so then he, he continues to pray, and then he comes down again. And he says, Peter, take and eat. And he's like, Lord, I already told you. This is not good Jewish food. I'm not going to eat that. And he you know, kind of, no, no, thanks, God. And then God takes it. The third time, God's like, hey, listen, Peter, take and eat. Anything that I've made clean, it's good. Just eat it, you know? And it was a vision. And it, what it meant was is that God was going to open up salvation to everyone, not just to the Jews, but it was going to be for everyone. And he was trying to get to the heart of Peter and say, Peter, Don't be this way. It's not just for the Jews. It's now been extended to everyone, to anyone who wants to be saved. They can be saved. But it comes through faith and Jesus. So the first word was circumcision. So he's talking about these group of people that were causing divisions and and trying to bring people away from standing in the forgiveness of their sins. That's an act of love by God. And it's free at no cost. It's a gift into some kind of crazy law where they had to work for their salvation again. And then the second word is justification or justified, because that's what Paul begins to talk about. If you guys go down a little bit further there in verses uh, 15 and 16, and then he ends it up in, in verse 17 and 18, and I'll stop, but I'll stop there. But look at 15 and 16. It says, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ And not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Well, that word justified, is it's a simple word. And it literally means the act of being declared or made righteous in the sight of God. Let me simplify that even more for you. When you are justified before God, you can stand before God, who is perfect and holy, because your sins have been removed. Right? They've been removed. The word righteous... It just means in right standing. If you and I are friends, and I've said this many, many times, and I always will because we need to be reminded. If you and I are friends, and we're good with one another, you know, you're, there's nothing between us. We haven't stepped on each other's toes. We haven't lied behind each other's back. We haven't done anything. We're just like, we're getting along great. We're righteous with one another. There's nothing between us. We can hang out. There's no offense. You don't need to ask me for forgiveness of anything that you've done, and likewise for me to you. And so we're righteous. But we're not just naturally born righteous with God. We're separated from God because of our sin. Our sins are an offense to God. He's perfect and holy. And so we need to have those things dealt with. The act of being righteous or in right standing with God means that you're justified. In other words, I've heard it put, it means it's justified, never sinned before when I stand before God. Justified. Justified, never sinned before. And so what happens is, is the, you, can be made ju- you can be justified before God or made righteous before God in a, in a couple different ways. 
You can either hold the law perfectly and never break one of the Ten Commandments, and then you'll be righteous before God, which I've already proven to you is impossible. No one can do it. Only one person has. Or you can allow God to forgive you of your sins through the work of Jesus on the cross. It doesn't come through observing any law. It comes as a free gift. And you can be justified by Jesus. So that when God looks at you, when you go into prayer and you talk to him, he sees not only you, but he sees Jesus in you. He sees the Lord in you. And he sees that you are righteous because of what Christ has done for you. And by faith, you stand in that. Now, faith is, is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence of things unseen. It's something that's kind of a mystery to people. They think, oh, faith, you know, it's like I have to work it up and conjure. No, you don't. You simply have to believe what God's word says. When you believe what God's word word says, you are living by faith. It's that simple. You just trust that he is true and what his word says is right. And when you come to God at that level, you are living a life of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what we're told. So if you want to obey God's word and live up to what he would have for you, it's going to take obedience from you. You're going to have to believe God's word. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. You see, they work together. They're all connected. It's not like you have separate things that are happening. And so what God has done is he's opened up the door for you and for me to be justified before him as we stand in prayer to him, as we worship him, and you know, as we... We interact with him on a personal relationship. We do that because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Now, the big question that Paul brings up here in verse 17, at the end of verse 17, in um, verse 18, he talks about, he says in verse 17, he says, If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean Christ promotes sin? He says, absolutely not. What happens if I get justified before God and I'm right with him and then I sin again? Do I lose my salvation? Is that something that's going to happen? Am I, am I one who now has to go back again and, and, and by faith accept the gift of salvation? Listen, this is how it works. Because God is eternal, when he makes that decision for you and you accept by faith the work on the cross, you can't undo that. You can't undo the work on the cross. And just like you can't undo it, you also can't add to it, okay? Because the next line he says there is he says in verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. Basically, what he's saying is like, okay, say I stumble and I sin, and then I feel bad about my sin. So now I feel like I have to go back and make good for what I've done wrong. And so now I start trying to be a better person, and I try and try harder not to sin, and I try and let my good outweigh my bad, Right? Look, that's not what God requires of us. Because your good will never be enough to honor what God would require for it to be. Because his standard is perfection. Remember? Perfection. And we'll never be able to be perfect. So what happens is is when you are justified before God, and you're right with him by faith in Jesus, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, all of your sins are forgiven. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So you can stand before him boldly because you know that he loves you because he's forgiven you. Now, here's the difference. Someone that knows they've been forgiven of many things, they're grateful. And so 
we recognize God's kindness to us. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. In other words, we want to please God because we see how he's loved us so greatly. It's as though there's a mountain standing before you and God says, I want you to be at the top of that mountain. And so we start to try and climb it with our own effort, but we'll never get to the top. And so what does he do? He sends a helicopter down, picks you up, and places you right on the top. He says, I've done it for you because you can't do it for yourself. Now listen, also talking there about rebuilding what I destroyed when Paul says in verse 18, I'm going to put it another way for you. The essence of what Paul's saying here is that God actually needs, that, that, that here that God actually needs your help be, in being justified before him is as if the cross is not good enough, we can't add anything to the perfect work of the cross of Jesus. In other words, Jesus went to the cross. He was already perfect. He had never broken a command of God. He was without any sin whatsoever. And yet he died as one who had done wrong with everything. And God placed his judgment on him for you and for me. He did it for one reason alone. Because he loves you. He doesn't want you to live separated from him. He wants you to know him personally. And he wants you to know that you are loved by him. That you were created by him and for him. And he has a plan. This is the big challenge. Resist the temptation to when you sin, try and allow your good behavior afterwards to outweigh your bad behavior. Let it be this instead. If you fall down in sin, ask for forgiveness, get up and just continue to move forward and ask the Lord to help you in your weaknesses so that you won't do it anymore. Use it as an opportunity to relate to God, not to be God. Because when you say, I'm gonna be better than I am bad, you're trying to be God. And that's not going to work. It will always fall short. He says, I love you. I've forgiven you. Let me help you. Amen? So let's be justified before the Lord with joy in our hearts this morning, okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning for your word, your, your powerful word, Lord. And Lord, I just thank you that, Lord, when you say that we're forgiven and when we live, we live for Christ and that's you living in us, Lord. How awesome that is to know we're not alone. And you did this because you want us to know you and it's a personal relationship with you. And so, Father, I just thank you that we're not left alone as orphans, but we're adopted in and we're dearly loved. We're chosen. Just like you chose Abraham, you've chosen us. And so I'm grateful for that, Lord. So Father, this morning I pray if anyone questions that in their heart, you would settle that for them even now. And Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit so that this week we would think of these things as we live for you and as we go on. And that, Lord, you would meet us in our times together as we uh, spend with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.